Before I start, I wanted to offer my deep thanks uh, first to Professor David Pratton uh, for the original invitation to speak with you, and now to Professor Ewart uh, for arranging everything, uh, and to all of you for coming out on a, a gray British afternoon. <laughs> uh, some years ago, I gave another talk at Oxford uh, to a wonderful group in the medical anthropology program, but it's a special pleasure for me to present my current work to you. Uh, to the Institute of Social and Cultural Anthropology, uh, whose illustrious history played actually a pivotal role in my postgraduate training in Virginia, of all places, uh, with Victor Turner, uh, Ed Winter, and other British-trained social anthropologists, uh, to the point that on my honeymoon in the United Kingdom in 1977, a few years ago, uh, my husband and I made a pilgrimage to Oxford. Uh, so that I could pay obeisance uh, to the memory of one of my intellectual uh, heroes, the then recently deceased Sir Edward uh, Evans Pritchard. And during our tour of All Souls College that day, which I remember quite vividly, uh, I nearly got my devoted new husband arrested uh, when our tour guide spied him slinking away from our group to go deliver a note at my request uh, to Professor Rodney Needham's office. Uh, and today, uh, nine books and uh, later, and after 38 more years as a feminist, I'd like to think that I would take ownership of that uh, simultaneous um, act of scholarly obeisance and cheeky rebellion and commit the deed myself. Well, there's one more acknowledgement I'd like to make before I start the talk, and that is to one of my research assistants who happens to be in the room today, and that is my daughter, uh, Hannah Gottlieb Graham, in the second row. Uh, anyone who has seen her tapping away on her laptop, uh, knows that she could probably beat the Guinness Book of World Records for fast typing. Uh, and she's applied her skills in transcribing many of my interview transcripts, some of which I'll be quoting today. Uh, Hannah's a student at Wadham College and this year, and it's another special pr uh, pleasure to have her and uh, many of her colleagues um, in the front of the room with us today um, from the Sarah Lawrence Oxford program to join us here. So um, I better set my alarm. Make sure that I don't blather on too long. Uh, the Cape Verde Islands represent a uniquely riveting space from which to explore uh, religious border crossings. Empty of all human habitation at the time of Portuguese discovery of the archipelago, uh, the islands um, yeah, uh, soon became populated by a blend of people from Catholic, Jewish, and indigenous African religious traditions where arguably uh, the world's first uh, realized, in quotes, population was created. As the historian Toby Green suggests, Cape Verde may be the place where we became modern. For reasons of time, I'm going to barely pay lip service to the obvious question, how did Jews come to the remote islands of Cape Verde, uh, and just provide a simple half-sentence uh, explanation. Uh, the twin uh, Iberian acts of expulsion and the ensuing inquisitions in Spain and Portugal with effects lasting from the late 15th century through the 18th century uh, and the political and economic crises of Morocco uh, with impacts through uh, the 20th century, uh, 19th century, sorry. We know now that the early generations of European colonization of the Cape Verde Islands included a huge proportion of Jews. Today, any Cape Verdean with early roots in that era is likely to have Jewish ancestors. 
buttressed by path-breaking work by historians who are now uncontestably documenting the presence of Jews across Cabo Verde's history, we're now in a position to inquire into the consequences of that history for the lived experiences of Cabo Verdeans today. Since I'm not a historian, this isn't a work of history, but it is rooted in history. I'm working with a, a group of people who themselves are rethinking their own insertion into particular historical streams. As an ethnographer, I use a combination of ethnographic methods to document the process of reimagining history from the standpoint of individuals located in specific spatio-temporal locales, very much governed by structures of power, levels of access to technology and education, accidents of residence and neighborhood, and this moment in geopolitical systems as reported in mass media. We can talk more about why and when and how this produced systematic migrations of Jews to Cabo Verde um, in the Q&A period, if you like. But for today's talk, I'm going to focus on the here and now. So how is this largely unknown yet historically significant conjoined Jewish Cape Verdean diaspora now being re-evaluated um, among contemporary Cabo Verdeans themselves on and off the islands uh, who have Jewish ancestry? In fact, many Cabo Verdeans are increasingly themselves curious to chart and reclaim the somewhat submerged yet historically critical component of their island's identity, seeking out both their uh, own Jewish family history and their peers who have that ancestry. So I'm going to start um, with a statement that um, the preeminent Cabo Verdean novelist Germano Almeida made to me some years ago on, um, in his home uh, in um, Mindelo. He said, well, all the Jews in Cabo Verde have died, but many, many Jews came to the islands and married Cape Verdeans and had children with Cape Verdeans. So although they've died, they've mixed with us and they're part of us. So in recent years, a striking number of Cabo Verdeans has begun to explore the Jewish heritage of their nation, their families, or both seeking out both their Jewish family history for intellectual discovery and their peers with similar backgrounds for social and religious engagement. The group includes individuals currently living on the islands and in diasporic communities across Europe and the US. How is this largely unknown yet historically significant dual diaspora now being reevaluated re among contemporary Cabo Verdeans? Well, since 2006, I've been researching this dispersed yet increasingly connected group as they actively seek both information and one another to explore and incorporate the Jewish component of their identity. My talk is based on ethnographic research conducted in Cabo Verde, especially the islands of Santiago and São Vicente, and with Cabo Verdean diasporic communities living in Portugal, France, the Netherlands, and the US. My uh, research has focused on a range of individuals including those who know that they have Jewish ancestry, those who suspect that they have Jewish ancestry and are actively pursuing the question, and those who have no known Jewish ancestry but are intrigued by the fact that other Cabo Verdeans do. Keeping in mind the diversity of knowledge about and engagement with their families and nation's Jewish history, I'm going to explore with you a selection of contemporary activities in which these people are now engaged. Um, I'm going to start with a little um, composite snippet of many conversations that I've had with dozens of Cabo Verdeans, always starting with the same question, which is, do you eat pork? And that simple question has produced a variety of really intriguing answers, and they include the following. One, nope, it doesn't taste good to me. Two, 
I try to stay away from pork. I'm not a big pork person. Three, nope, gives me a stomachache. Four, I tried abstaining from pork for a year and a half, but then found the call of bacon a bit too tempting. Turkey bacon isn't as tasty, but that's the only pork I eat. I don't eat any other pork. Five, the real cachupa, which is the quintessential Cabo Verdean stew that typically includes a lot of pork in it. The real cachupa doesn't contain pork. This is still in the quote. It's the Portuguese who introduced pork into cachupa and brought pigs to the islands. Otherwise, the islands wouldn't have pigs, just fish. The best cachupa I ever had was always with fish. That's how my grandmother made it, with fresh tuna caught from the sea and cut up in little pieces. That's how I make it here. He's a uh, chef in a restaurant, a Calvarian restaurant, with different types of fish only, tuna and mahi-mahi. That's the end of the quote. In these statements, each response to the question I pose, do you report, evokes a particular rationale that implied an individual decision, and yet collectively they suggest a different biography. Caberdian cuisine combines Portuguese and West African culinary traditions, relying on foods introduced early on from both regions, including the Portuguese practice of raising domestic pigs. Indeed, in small villages across rural Portugal, an annual pig-killing event called the Matancha traditionally served as an important signpost organizing the yearly calendar. Mainstream Portuguese cuisine continues to revolve heavily around pork, which appears sometimes furtively in one form or another in nearly all Portuguese dishes. The fact that so many Cape Verdeans I've spoken with either avoid pork entirely or eat it only occasionally suggests that earlier generations of Jewish family tradition contribute, perhaps unknowingly, to what appears to be a personal choice. The case of daily habitus, shaped by abandoned religious traditions, isn't unique among Cabo Verdeans. In my research, I've observed many quotidian and ritual activities that strikingly resemble Jewish practices, while not always acknowledged as such. They include rituals at both ends of the life cycle. For example, some Cape Verdeans have described to me their family's custom of putting an anklet or waistband with a six-pointed, quote, Jewish star or Star of David around the foot or waist of a newborn without recognizing the Jewish association of that particular star shape. The other end of the life cycle also reveals Jewish ritual practices in many Cape Verdean households. Um, Often uh, unrecognized as such. For example, the Nojadu funeral custom, common in Cape Verde, bears many similarities to the funeral, uh, Jewish uh, funeral custom of sitting Shiva. Davida, a Cape Verdean woman born on the island of Santa Antao but now living in Rotterdam, recalled her family's mourning customs from her childhood. She said, when someone dies for seven days, people come to your house and after one year they all come together again. Until recently, Davida was unaware that her family's funeral schedule replicated the classic Jewish mourning calendar. Yet somehow, for reasons she couldn't explain, as a child, she had resisted practicing Catholic ritual. I asked, were you raised as a practicing Catholic? And she said, yeah, yeah. I asked, were you baptized in church? She said, I'm baptized, yes, yes. But I didn't want to do the communion. I never wanted to do that. It didn't feel right for me as a child. Only recently did Davida confirm by accident the Jewish identity of her ancestors. She'd previously known that some Cape Verdean surnames often indicate Jewish uh, origins, but she hadn't definitively made the association to some of those same names in her own family. 
on a hiking trip in the north of Portugal last year, she visited a synagogue uh, that displayed rich information about the nation's Jewish heritage. This is the synagogue. I myself paid a visit there several years ago. One exhibit at this um, uh, museum associated with the synagogue um, included a list of common surnames found among many Portuguese Jews and their descendants. Included in the list was the surname of her maternal grandfather, Coelho, who she knew to have worked as a Catholic priest. She previously heard that the name Coelho had Jewish associations, but had never made sense of that seemingly non-rational fact concerning her grandfather, the priest. On her return to Rotterdam, in confusion, she confronted her mother. She recounted to me, I told her about the Jewish Museum, and I said the exhibit had a list of Cape Verdean names, and they were all Jewish names. And then she told me that her father had told her as a child that they were from Jewish blood, but that she wasn't allowed to talk about it. I asked, do you remember your reaction when you heard this? She said, well, I thought, couldn't you have told me earlier? This woman was in her 50s now. Because I'm sure that I mentioned to my mother sometimes something about the name Quelio being Jewish, and since I knew it was a Jewish name, I had this vague idea that we must be Jewish or something, but that's since 2000-something that I'd heard this about my grandfather's name being Jewish. She kept me waiting a long time. That was 14 years. Another Cape Verdean woman had a very similar reaction in recounting the moment when she verified her Jewish ancestry from her father. Carlotta said, quote, If you remember people lighting candles on Friday nights, that was one of those things where my father was like, Oh, yeah, I remember that. I thought, like, you could have told me when I asked you the first time. Jeanne, another Cape Verde woman, uh, born woman, now living in Rhode Island, discovered unexpected affinities between her family's funeral practices and those of practicing Jews. One day she described the casket style with which she grew up on the island of Santiago. Quote, it's simple, light wood with no decorations at all. The only thing on the outside is simple handles for carrying the coffin. Although this casket style resembles the common Jewish predilection for using a simple pine box or no casket at all, rather than the highly ornate caskets used by many Portuguese and Cape Verdean Catholic families, Jean was also unaware of the likely Jewish origins of her family's funeral practice. Common family surnames imply a further ubiquitous component of Cape Verdeans' lives that have a probable Jewish source that, re oh, sorry, uh, that remains largely unrecognized as such by those who bear the names. Abundant Sephardic oral history suggests that following the late 15th century laws that expelled all Jews from Spain and Portugal, many of the classic Jewish surnames, such as Cohen and Levi, were supplanted by a set of names rooted in the natural world, both trees and mammals, <coughs> by Jews who opted to remain in Iberia and convert to Catholicism. In this way, renaming to conceal previous Jewish identity became a potential means to survive, although the engine of the Inquisition continued to seek out such families for persecution for some 300 years. Today, very common such surnames include uh, tree or plant names such as Carvalho, oak tree, Figueira, fig tree, Lima, lime tree, Pereira, pear tree, Pinheiro, pine tree, Oliveira, olive tree, Rosa, rose, and Silva, thicket or woods, as well as animal names such as Cabral, goat, Coelho, rabbit, Leão, lion, lobo, wolf, and Pinto, baby chicken. Given this history, many Cabo Verdeans bearing these surnames probably have ancestors who adopted the names soon after the edicts of expulsion were issued to hide their Jewish identity and endeavor to remain safe in Spain or Portugal. 
Later, they would have decided to flee Iberia because of continuing persecution by the Inquisition of uh, so-called new Christians bearing such names. But given the remoteness of the historical era uh, during which these events would have transpired, few living Cabo Verdeans who carry such names recognize Jewish ancestry in their genealogies today. Well, an earlier generation of anthropologists might have called the ritual and naming practices that I've just summarized retentions or survivals or more specifically Africanisms. Indeed, by, uh, introduced by early Africanists such as W.E.B. Du Bois, St. Clair Drake, and Melville Herskovitz, the concept of retentions or survivals reached its heyday in the 1970s, especially in the context of African-Americans' linguistic, musical, artistic, and religious practices. While gaining ground in some circles, including the black power movement of the 1960s, the concept also attracted vigorous critique by anthropologists for a variety of theoretical as well as historical and empirical reasons. But uh, some contemporary scholars do continue to draw on the concept. For my purposes and keeping the critiques in mind, the question merits asking, what, if any, is the significance of the practices I've mentioned if their religious origins are <coughs> unknown to contemporary generations who perpetuate them? In fact, if engagements with earlier Jewish practice exists only at the unconscious level for many Cabo Verdeans, others are in the process of developing awareness of their foundations. For insights into the meanings that these practices hold for some Cabo Verdeans, I'll begin with a conversation during which an individual recognized for the first time the Jewish history of two personal practices. In Rhode Island, Alessia had prepared a traditional afternoon snack of tea and couscous for Teresa, a mutual Cape Verdean friend, and myself. As we enjoyed the tasty dish, Alessia explained how she prepared it. The ingredients she listed include some Morton's kosher salt which remained on the table at which we were seated. Alessia cast a glance at the characteristic dark blue cardboard box, which sported a large Jewish star on its front label. That reminds me of the Jewish stars on some of my jewelry, Alessia said. Oh, Teresa wasn't sure if she'd heard correctly. I probably still have some jewelry with a Jewish star on it, Alessia said, left over from when I was a baby. Let me see if I can find one. In a few minutes, Alessia returned empty-handed from her bedroom. I'm not sure where they are, but in my family, on the seventh day of a baby's life, we always put a belt around the baby's waist. It had a few charms on it, maybe three or four, or even five. One was always a Jewish star. But what makes it a Jewish star, Teresa asked in confusion. It has to be six-pointed, Alessia replied. At least on Sao Vicente, we made a very clear distinction between a five-pointed star and a six-pointed star. We called the six-pointed one Estrela de Judeo, Star of the Jew. Wow, really? Teresa shook her head in amazement. In my family, she said, we tied a six-pointed star onto a waistband for a baby, too. Or it might have been a bracelet or an anklet for an older child or even an adult, but I had no idea it had anything to do with Judaism. Teresa added that she might still have what she now recognized as a Jewish star left over from one of her own childhood items of jewelry. Moreover, this childhood gift wasn't the end of the line. Teresa had also given what she now knew to be a Jewish star to both her own son, now 19, and daughter, now 23, when they were babies. In fact, she thought her daughter was still wearing the bracelet she received as a baby now. She thought she might locate the Jewish star somewhere in the house of her parents, where she was currently living. Alessa added that back in Cape Verde, the six-pointed Jewish star always appeared around Christmas in her family's home. Either it hung on the wall inside the door, or even more intriguingly, it dangled from the Christmas tree, or both. 
Teresa expressed further amazement. Her family had the same practice as well. Moreover, Teresa claimed that many Cape Verdeans all over the archipelago hung a six-pointed star somewhere in their home during the Christmas season. Once again, she had no idea of the custom's Jewish origins. I asked Teresa if she thought that most other Cape Verdeans know that the six-pointed star represents Judaism. Teresa asserted, no, I don't think so. I certainly didn't. But Alessia interrupted and said, yes, absolutely. I certainly did know. A highly educated woman bearing three advanced degrees, including one from Portugal, Teresa found herself compelled to reflect on this revelation of an intimate family practice whose origins were until that moment entirely unknown to her. She speculated aloud with us how this ignorance could have been perpetuated. At least at the level of her immediate experience, she thought it had to do with the power dynamics of her parents' marriage. Her father wasn't a religious man and often, in fact, disparaged religious tradi traditions. By contrast, her mother was inclined uh, to a more religious perspective, and Teresa said she and her uh, siblings often found themselves confused. Her father was the dominant partner in the marriage, and as a result, her mother rarely insisted on religious customs being practiced in the family, but when they did, uh, she never explained them to avoid irritating her husband. As a result, Teresa grew up with scanty training in religion, and she thought this might have explained her ignorance of the Jewish origins of her own six-pointed star charm. By contrast, Alessia appeared proud of her knowledge of the Jewish origins of the six-pointed star, and she saw this knowledge as part and parcel of a generally cosmopolitan outlook. She attributed her the orientation to having grown up on the Cabo Verdean island of Sao Vicente, whose port city of Mindelo attracted people from around the world in the 19th and 20th centuries, including many Jews. For her part, Teresa left the conversation avowing interest in these new revelations about her family's suddenly complicated religious history. Such personal revelations have occurred during many conversations I've had with Cape Verdeans. Each story contains its biographical particularities, to be sure, but all share some sense of amazement at the moment of discovery. Once Jewish ancestry emerges as likely or even certain, what do Cabo Verdeans do with the knowledge? For people such as Teresa, who suddenly learn of a new religious component to their family history, the answer to that question must unfold slowly across future days and months of reflection. While some uh, Cabo Verdeans don't alter their daily lives, for others, a range of behavioral changes may result, from contemplating adopting particular Jewish practices to trying out some practices to adopting some of them. If people such as Teresa and Davida are in the early stages of discovering or verifying their Jewish ancestry, others have made the decision to engage actively with that religious heritage at one level or another. Some of these grew up knowing of their Jewish ancestry, while others have only recently become aware of it. I thought I'd sample um, a few experiences from both groups. So this is a quote from another woman um, who uh, was born in Massachusetts from Cabo Verdean uh, parents named uh, Ava. I'm using pseudonyms for all of these. Uh, she, we were looking at some photos, and she said, I just remembered something. My mother had a torn picture of her grandmother when I was a teenager. It was interesting because I was just learning about the Star of David from my friends at school, and I remembered this picture that was torn of my grandmother. She was holding somebody's shoulder or something like that, but she had a Star of David on. She had that very broad face, but what I remember is she had that Star of David on. And my mother said, yeah, my, mother's fa my father's family was Jewish. I completely forgot about that until now. And then another young woman I'm calling Layla said, my mom says she wants to have a shiva or a shiva. Am I saying that right? She said that's like one of the only Jewish customs she'll follow. She loves that. 
The two women quoted in these epigraphs were both born in the U.S. to respectively one or both parents of Cabo Verdean ancestry. Both grew up in households that effectively considered themselves Catholic, but they also had awareness of Jewish ancestors. Neither has incorporated much Jewish practice into her life, but Layla, the younger of the two, exhibited an act of curiosity. During our conversations, she pressed me to confirm the Jewish origin of some practices she had already tentatively identified as Jewish. Still in high school, she evinced interest in undergoing a formal conversion to Judaism, regardless of the fact that her Jewish ancestry stemmed from her mother's side. She said, after discovering that I was of Jewish ancestry, I really would like to convert to the religion because I feel like, she's 16, remember, so she's got those likes in there. She said, I feel like there's a religion for everybody and Catholicism, like, just isn't mine. Like, I don't, it's like, I've been in Catholic school my whole life, but when I read the Bible, the only one book that interests me is the Old Testament. The New Testament, I find, is a little dressed up and ornate. And in Mass, I just don't feel connected with God. But I always felt really intrigued reading the Old Testament and doing the Passover thing. So I kind of feel like a lot of Cape Verdeans are starting to realize that. For other Cape Verdeans, the discovery of Jewish ancestry does not produce new spiritual habits or realignments as it did um, uh, potentially with Layla. Rather, some come to associate life habits as influenced by having uh, life habits as influenced by having been brought up by those with habits passed down across generations of Jewish families. Even when religious practice was long ago extirpated, whether by the Inquisition in Portugal or Cape, uh, Cape Verde, or more recent efforts to squelch Judaism, this group of Cape Verdeans insists on identifying continuities with daily life habits taught by grandparents to parents to children. Marco, a businessman I met in Praia, the capital of Cape Verde, showed up 15 minutes early one day to pick me up. Apologizing, he explained that his father, himself a successful businessman descended from a long line of successful businessmen, had always taught him that being on time is a precious habit guaranteeing success in the business world. Without prompting, Marco began our conversation by chuckling, that's how I know I'm Jewish. My father taught me that Jews are always on time. Sorry to say I'm not one in a long line of that tradition. Uh, many other Cape Verdeans insisted to me that they acquired a lifelong love of learning in general and reading in particular from relatives descended from Jews. I collected dozens of stories of adults who made difficult, life-changing decisions organized around giving their children the advantage of an American education. Women who sent their children to live in the U.S. and be raised by impoverished grandparents women who themselves emigrated, lacking English, lacking good job prospects, leaving behind husbands, also that their children might attend U.S. schools. Given the language gaps, the second group of women enrolled in English language classes as soon as they could, at once to improve their own life chances, to serve as role models to their children, and to help their children strengthen their English <coughs> skills. In many cases, these individuals explicitly connected their extraordinary motivation to pursue an education both for themselves and their children with the Jewish value of learning that they claim they inherited from their own families. Although racism as both an attitude and a structure of power still constricts the options of many Cape Verdeans in the U.S., the number of Cape Verdeans who have overcome the extraordinary obstacles in their path for the sake of educating their children is notable with a robust Cape Verdean American middle class and above, composed of doctors, lawyers, professionals, um, professors and intellectuals, businessmen and women, now fully emerging in the North American diaspora. Beyond such secular values as prizing literacy and education, many Cape Verdeans with Jewish ancestry are now slowly, tentatively making their way to some Jewish religious practices. 
For those living in New England, this may start from attending an annual Seder um, held in Boston for the past 10 years. At this Passover Seder, which attracts about 100 Cape Verdeans and 100 American Jews every year, many Cape Verdeans encounter Jewish ritual, and in some cases, American Jews, for the first time. The seating plan intentionally, intentionally joins members uh, of both groups uh, at each table, promoting conversations that often produce curiosity about possible Jewish ancestry on the part of the Cape Verdeans. On leaving, some feel inspired to pursue this curiosity, which may take them in multiple directions. Um, another influential event was a ritual of rededication of a Jewish cemetery held in Praia, the capital of Cape Verde, in June 2013. With support from the mayor's office as well as an international NGO, uh, the event attracted a small but passionate number of Cape Verdeans from around the islands and around the world. International publicity spread the news of the uh, event much further, both in print and online. Out of the ritual came a new local NGO formed by Cape Verdeans, uh, eager to further preserve and publicize Jewish heritage on the island. From encounters with either or both of these, oh, that's the one that was supposed to be earlier. Sorry about that. Um, wait, there was one more that I wanted to go for. There we go. Um, from encounters with either or both of these two events or other Jewish contexts, some Cape Verdeans with Jewish ancestry are trying out strands of Jewish practice in their life. Some men try on the ritual skullcaps, um, known in Hebrew as kippahs, uh, or in Yiddish as yarmulkes at appropriate times. Some try out ways to observe the Sabbath. Some begin wearing a Jewish star, or displaying a menorah on their mantelpiece. Some begin reading books about Jewish history, displaying the books on their coffee tables. Some begin blogging about their new knowledge and practice to try out their identity in a more public setting. One couple recently traveled to Israel to visit their daughter, stationed there for a new job, and returned with a newfound passion for all things Jewish, support for the Jewish state, and a heap of books to feed their growing curiosity. A small but growing number of uh, Cape Verdeans is becoming uh, more comprehensively committed by formally joining a synagogue and considering themselves fully practicing Jews. Oitavo, raised in Lisbon, recently moved to another European capital city to become a representative of Israel to the EU. Abrao, a Cape Verdean American born in Providence, married a Russian-American woman of Jewish background and underwent full conversion uh, to Orthodox Judaism before discovering that he actually had Jewish ancestry from both of his grandparents. Uh, despite being unaware of that as a child, he'd never felt comfortable with Catholicism, uh, and as an adult, he said Judaism somehow felt right to him. Rosa, a Cape Verdean woman now living in Rotterdam, told me a similar narrative rooted in mystical connections. She somehow knows, she said, that she has Jewish ancestry, even though she's been unable to verify uh, that knowledge through <coughs> conventional means. But a mystical sense of Jewish identity pervades her spiritual life. Um, nevertheless, having been raised as a Catholic, she also retains reverence for Jesus Christ. With this mixed background, she has found herself drawn to an informal Jews for Jesus group. She visits Israel twice a year, where she's affiliated with such a group. Indeed, she's recently decided to emigrate from the Netherlands to Israel though, uh, through the state's right of return, which grants citizenship uh, to those with proven Jewish ancestry. As Cape Verdeans reassess what they thought they knew of their identity, they sometimes find themselves hard-pressed to categorize themselves using accepted religious labels. Some seek new labels that acknowledge a hybrid religion to include both the Catholic and Jewish components of their religious heritage. 
Some Cape Verdeans now call themselves Catholic Jews. Others refer to themselves as Jewish Catholics. Even more intriguingly, one Cape Verdean has coined the term Kaju or Kashu as a neologism uniquely suited to expressing her mixed religious heritage. Anna Lima Delgado has written a blog post to introduce the term to the Cape Verdean community. And on her blog, she's written, On my first trip to Cape Verde, I discovered the cashew fruit. I'd always known the cashew, which is pronounced caju in Portuguese, to be a nut. But it's actually a fruit and a nut. All these years, I believed the cashew was only a nut. Who knew? And it was during the same trip that I first realized my own Jewish identity. Who knew? All this time, I'm sorry, Jewish ancestry. Who knew? All this time, I believed my family was Catholic. But as I learned more of my ancestry, I realized that many of our traditions were, in fact, based in the Jewish faith. So if you're born and raised in the Catholic Church but practice Jewish traditions, are you Catholic or Jewish? This is a question that many Cape Verdeans may begin asking themselves as we begin to seriously consider the impact of Jewish ancestry in Cape Verde. I jokingly referred to being a Kaju with a friend of mine who also recently found out about his Jewish roots. Is it possible to be Catholic and Jewish, basically a Kaju? I am a descendant of two groups of very strong people who survived a history of indescribable horrors merely for being who they were. Because of our ancestors, we all have the freedom to be and to live how we'd like. We're free to worship how we'd like, and I am free to be a Catholic or a Jew, and even a Kaju, if I please. That's the end of her blog post. Delgado has instructed her two children to follow suit and write in, in English, cashew under other, when asked to name their religion on school forms. Delgado's personal journey of discovery and redefinition reminds us that border theory has relevance not just to geographic borders, nor just to political borders, but to religious borders as well. Border theorists such as Gloria Anzaldúa, Daphne Berdal, Sharam Kosrabi, Alejandro Lugo, Renato Rosaldo, Gilberto Rosas, and others have provocatively pointed to the complicated, rich, and vexed space that borders occupy. The so-called migrant crisis of today's EU reminds us of the contemporary urgency of rethinking borders as spaces of both danger and opportunity. But as migrants have crossed geopolitical borders, they may have also crossed spiritual borders. And as border theorists tell us, crossing borders does not necessarily mean leaving behind what is on the far side of the frontier. The Cape Verdean case instructs us that different levels of engagement with Judaism means that we ought to be far from an all-or-nothing model, for the suitcases packed by migrants contain as much invisible as visible baggage. And one of the tasks to which anthropologists are well-suited is discovering and examining such invisible baggage. I could end now, or I could forge on to the final section, which answers the, or addresses the question, why now? How are we doing for time? We're good? All right. Why now? (laughs) These narratives raise a temporal question. Why all this interest in rediscovering or discovering Jewish family roots now, which is certainly a more active mode of inquiry than uh, Verdian's efforts to pursue, for example, their sub-Saharan African histories? 
Given the complexities of our lives as humans at both biographical and sociological levels, a single answer could hardly do justice to the question. So I'd like to propose eight factors that together, I think, illuminate the current moment of heightened interest by Cape Verdeans in exploring their Jewish identities. One, uh, looking at post-World War II and the Salazar years uh, in Portugal and the Portuguese Empire. Some Cabo Verdeans born in the 1930s and 40s have related to me that their parents either entirely concealed their Jewish identity to them during World War II or trained them to do the same. Born in 1940 in Sao Vicente, but now living in Lisbon, Carlos related to me, quote, with Nazism, things became even more drastic because people were afraid of being Jews. They were afraid of giving clues. Look, so-and-so who's a Benrosh is in such a place. So-and-so who's a Wanon is in such a place. As soon as a person had a tie to a Jew, he was on a blacklist of the Nazis. This made the possibility of people with Jewish ancestry contacting each other regularly even harder. It was many years living under this threat. Nazism started in the 30s and lasted more or less into the mid-40s, and this fact must have led to many things being forgotten, many traditions, and, many have made, uh, and must have made many families become more or less separated from each other. It was many years, many hard years of fear from anti-Semitism. Another Cape Verdean, Eduardo, born in Sao Vicente in 1930, but living in Lisbon when we met, told me about his childhood during World War II. Quote, we knew that it was dangerous to reveal our Jewish ancestry because if Hitler had invaded Africa and had taken Cabo Verde, we knew that we were Jews. Everyone was afraid. My father was afraid. Unquote. Even after World War II ended, many Cape Verdeans remained secretive about their Jewish origins. Partly, this was attributed to the lasting effects of Hitler. Others also evoked the Portuguese dictator Salazar as motivating people to continue their caution. In Paris, I interviewed, interviewed Paolo, a secretive man who explained his proclivity for secrecy by evoking a joke, which he related while laughing bitterly. Quote, there's a story that's told in Portugal. A man travels from Portugal to the U.S. He hasn't seen a dentist in years. In America, he finds himself a dentist right away. The dentist is astonished that the man has come all the way from Portugal just to go to the dentist. But why didn't you go to a dentist in Portugal, he asks. In Portugal, we never open our mouths for anyone, he replies. <laughs> that was how it was under Salazar, my interlocutor continued. No one said anything about anything important. We didn't ask questions. No one volunteered any information. My grandmother never said anything about her family. I asked Paolo about his grandmother. Do you think she has Jewish ancestors? He replied, quote, yes, of course, she must. There was a Jewish star and a menorah in the house. When I lived with her as a child, I had no idea what they were. I didn't even know what Jews were. I'd never even heard the word. Even when I got to Portugal, I had no idea about Jews, never heard of them. That was the last year of Salazar, and no one spoke of Jews. Paolo's poignant narrative chronicles the lengths to which some Cabo Verdeans living under the Salazar dictatorship went to conceal, the, uh, conceal their Jewish ancestry even from close relatives. Once Salazar was deposed by the Carnation Revolution of 1974, which also ended Portuguese rule in Africa the following year, Cape Verdeans slowly began feeling comfortable speaking of all manner of issues they had previously concealed. Finally, they judge now that they have recovered from that most recent historical moment when their Jewish identity could put them at risk, as it had for many of their ancestors at other times and places in history. Two, the internet. 
Cape Verde boasts a relatively high level of literacy compared with much of the west of West Africa, 76% overall. Island residents increasingly use their literacy skills to research uh, family history. In the US and Europe, the children of Cape Verdean immigrants and their descendants achieve the same high literacy rates as do others in these nations. With literacy comes access to the world of knowledge available online. As Cape Verdeans' levels of education increase and their research skills deepen, it becomes ever more possible to explore the Jewish history of both their nation and their family. Their explorations take many forms, ranging from informal engagements across social media to sustained quasi-professional research in archives. Lots of examples, but I think I'm going to skip that. Um, three, diaspora. Migration, especially to the U.S., puts many Cape Verdeans into first-time contact with peoples of diverse backgrounds, including Jews. In the U.S., most Cape Verdeans inhabit spaces along the northeastern seaboard, some along the west coast, um, but on the east coast, especially between Boston and Providence. Other significant Cape Verde uh, communities exist elsewhere along the east coast, including New York, New Jersey, Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, uh, and on the west coast, especially in California. In most of these places, significant communities of Jews also exist, and Cape Verdeans are likely to encounter Jewish colleagues in their workplaces, their children's schools, and assorted community events. Joao, a Cape Verdean businessman living in Florida, told me, quote, the person who really got me interested in the Jewish side of my origins was a Jewish surgeon I met in Florida who was a customer of mine, and we became friends. The surgeon told me all about Jewish practices, unquote. When I asked Joao if he'd ever been to a synagogue, he replied, quote, no, but my youngest daughter has because she was a double major in history and religion in college and a professor of a religious studies course about Judaism invited her to a temple to attend services. She found it interesting and mentioned it to me and said she'd love to get me to a temple, unquote. As they became, uh, become more aware of Jewish practices, some Cape Verdeans are coming to realize that what they considered to be eccentric practices unique to their families were actually Jewish. For example, many Cape Verdeans have told me they were always baffled by their tra family's tradition of lighting candles every Friday uh, night until they came to the U.S. and discovered that this is a Jew Jewish tradition in honor of the Sabbath. In some communities, living and working amongst Jews can mean encountering questions about names that are typically identified as Jewish names. Even in Portugal, which has, which has a far smaller visibly Jewish population, Cape Verdeans are becoming aware of Jewish, uh, Jews around them. Uh, four the category of mixed. In the con contemporary US, the ca category of mixed has emerged in recent years as a legitimate racial descriptor. Where previous generations of Americans were compelled to choose more singularly delineated categories of race, <coughs> current citizens feel less compelled to privilege only one component of a complex ethnic heritage. The increasing acceptance of this multi-layered category at the level of race may implicitly encourage Cape Verdeans to feel comfortable with an equivalent notion at the level of religion. Given that many Cape Verdeans view themselves as a historical palimpsest composed of multiple layers of globalized identities, this new categorical trend in the U.S. appears well-suited to reinforce this tendency in the North American context. Five. Circulation of information in the Lusophone or Portuguese-speaking world. Some Cape Verdeans are now becoming aware that there's a new interest in rediscovering Jewish identity throughout the Portuguese-speaking world, especially notable in Brazil. I don't know if you've encountered this or not. 
Um, more recently, many residents in Portugal, both the mainland and in the Azores, have begun to investigate their previously buried or unknown Jewish ancestry. In that sense, one might say that Cape Verdeans are joining in what is increasingly becoming a global trend. Their efforts are complemented by a parallel effort in the Hispanic world, from Spain to Mexico, Peru, and elsewhere. Six, DNA technology. Although no, quote, Jewish gene exists, modern genetic techniques offer increasingly sophisticated and refined means to pinpoint components of one's family history due to statistical profiles of certain genetic markers. A small but growing uh, group of Cape Verdeans has been researching the option of having their DNA tested to discover new components of their ancestry. The decision to take such a test rest on, rests on three factors. Burning curiosity to learn more about their identity, including the acknowledgments that they may learn unexpected, even unwelcome information that unsettles what they thought they knew about their family. Sufficient level of education and research skills to sort through different options and make an informed decision about which service to buy and how to interpret the results, and enough cash to pay for the service. Until recently, the last two factors would have excluded all but the smallest level of the elite. However, rapid and dramatic advances in DNA technology now makes reliable and affordable services available to all but the most impoverished. According to one biological anthropology colleague, the most reliable service costs only $150 for a very comprehensive test. Once Jewish ancestry is confirmed <coughs> by genetic tests, the results may have different impacts. When one Cape Verdean woman received DNA tests revealing a significant proportion of likely Jewish ancestors, she felt motivated to have her teenage son tested with similar results. The son, then 14 years old, immediately expressed regret that he had passed the conventional age for a bar mitzvah. Another Cape Verdean American woman, Barbara, is expanding her family network as a result of her DNA tests. In Providence, she recounted to me, quote, I decided to have my DNA done at, you know, people were saying, oh, you should do the DNA. It's one, kind, one thing to kind of try and go back into the birth records, but that will really give you a lot more detail in terms of where your ancestry, your DNA is from. So I did it. The results came in. And the very same day or the next day, I got an email from a woman in Switzerland. And she says, you know, her name was Nicole. And she says, you know, I'm reaching out to you because your DNA is a match for my father. And we've been trying to figure out his background. Would you be open to talking to me, or what can you tell me about the Cape Verde Islands? It seems like that West African piece is a lot like you have the same DNA that he does. In Barbara's case, the DNA data produce an influx of new connections. An active email correspond, uh, correspondence with her newly identified Swiss relative is turning into a warm friendship online and plans uh, to visit one another uh, at some point. Seven, news of world affairs. The Mideast crisis that dominates so much mass media attention is also producing a new level of awareness of Jewish is, uh, issues for Cape Verdeans. With Israel in the news uh, daily, some Cape Verdeans are discovering a new personal interest in the nation, seeing their history in the process rather than a set of political events unrelated to themselves. Uh, and finally, eight, NGO work. Uh, an NGO that I mentioned in passing a while back, the Cape Verdean Jewish Heritage Foundation, is now drawing increasing numbers of Cape Verdeans to discover their Jewish ancestry. The NGO's co uh, founder, a woman named Carol Castile, based in um, Washington, D.C., exhibits an extraordinary level of energy and committed. 
uh, a commitment. A successful journalist, her wide international networks and multilingual skills allow her to attract both funds for and interest in the NGO's work. Although she's not Cape Verdean herself, she's inspired many Cape Verdeans to pursue their own genealogical research as a result of meeting her. I'm in good shape. My alarm says I have 10 minutes and we're up to the conclusions. Some concluding thoughts. My research forms part of a new scholarly trend recognizing a buried history of Jewish activities across the African continent. In fact, uh, next Tuesday I'll be presenting a version of this talk in Paris uh, to a, a whole conference on Judaism in Africa, uh, where I'm really looking forward to meeting colleagues, um, other scholars working on related themes. The long-standing reluctance of Africanist and Jewish studies scholars to engage with one another increasingly seems curious at best in light of the robust crossed lines of Jews and Cape Verdeans and other African groups across more than a half millennium. The disciplines of African studies and Jewish studies have much uh, to offer one another um, and to learn from one another. Given that the typical map of religions in Africa excludes the mention of Jews, Simply putting Jews on the map, literally as well as metaphorically, can significantly broaden the scholarly conversation. Similarly, given that the typical map of the Jewish diaspora excludes sub-Saharan Africa, again, simply putting sub-Saharan uh, Africa on those maps, literally as well as metaphorically, can, signi can significantly broaden another scholarly conversation. In crossing different kinds of borders, what else might we learn about Africans and Jews when we ask new questions about their unexpected crossings? This map um, gives an intriguing uh, glimpse of all of the countries that uh, we know contain some level of Jewish presence um, in uh, known history. Um, but in most cases, those histories are just barely beginning to uh, be charted. In posing new questions, might we discover new realities? How can this globalized Lusophone diaspora speak to, strengthen, and expand our understanding of the history of global diasporas over the past 500 years? By way of uh, an example of how these questions might generate new directions of inquiry, let me end with this point. Within Jewish scholarship, an enormous body of literature has existed for many centuries that addresses the simple question, who is a Jew? The simple answer of the Orthodox rabbi proposes that anyone with exclusively Jewish ancestry through the maternal line may consider herself or himself a Jew. But the modern era raises many challenges to this biogenealogical approach. New community organizations and scholars are now opening up the question and include Jewish communities outside the simple dual divisions of Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews that has dominated mainstream Jewish studies for too long. Scholars of memory now point to the cultural and political foundations to processes of both remembering and forgetting adding Cape Verdeans and other Africans who have some Jewish ancestry to the conversation will allow new questions of race and identity to be raised in this contemporary moment of rethinking geo-religious borders and those who currently experience and reevaluate the effects of their historical crossings. Cape Verde, I suggest, offers much to teach the modern world about hybridity and the limits and possibilities of tolerance, both racial and religious. We know that's true at the level of racialized and ethnic diversity, but Cape Verde teaches us that we may add religion. 
Although the early colonial era Portuguese empire was a tragic model of religious intolerance, either evicting, killing, or forcibly converting all Jews as well as Muslims, the population that became Cabo Verdean was by contrast shaped on the ground in spaces of intimacy by tolerance. Intermarriage produced hybrid children with mixed identities at levels of race, language, citizenship, and religion. The scholarly uh, literature emphasizes two alternate models to understanding cultural encounters in other times and places, either annihilation or assimilation. The Jewish influence on Cape Verde offers another model of cultural hybridity that might be applicable elsewhere.